the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, let's see here. On the 31st day of August, the man says live. Let me check. Yeah, there's a pulse. I guess we can proceed. (laughs) Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Hey, it's Thursday, and I got fantastic news. Before we get any further into the program, I had a nice conversation with your boss earlier today, and I said, you know, they're working so hard, putting long hours in, very hardworking, very dedicated. Can we at least make arrangements to get Monday off? Just kind of a thank you. And the boss came back and said, yes. So I, I have an official authority that you can take Monday off. <laughs> hey, we're not going to take Thursday off, though. Lots to talk about on today's program. Coming up later on in the um, the first hour tonight, Professor John Schwartzberg is going to join us. He, of course, is the um, professor of Maritime Academy, the School of Public Health. We're going to get the latest and all the buzz related to the return of version number I can't even keep track anymore, FL1.5.1 and BA2.86. Probably just easier if we call it COVID. COVID beginning to rear its ugly head. An announcement made within the week by Kaiser that once again, anybody that visits a Kaiser hospital in the state of California will have to mask up. So what about all these new COVID variants and will the latest batch of vaccine boosters work? We'll talk about that with Dr. Schwartzberg a little bit later on in the hour. Right now, though, let's break down what's gone on over the last uh, 168 hours or so. We're joined by lawyer, educator and best-selling author Joe Murray. Joe, welcome. Craig, good to see you. I don't think a lot has happened since we last talked. No, no. In fact, I'm thinking I was just going to say hi, wish you a great Labor Day weekend, and sign off. And then just I've got a stack of Engelbert Humperdinck records I was going to play. Please release me. Let me go. (laughs) Hey, there is a lot to talk about. And I I want to kind of go far back, if I might, into the last week and talk about the first set of debates. Everybody was curious as to what was going to happen and uh, what kind of an impact there would be with the Republican frontrunner deciding not to participate. And I'm going to suggest that even though it might have been far more entertaining had Trump participated, um, there was no lack of drama and um, even some subterfuge along the way. But most notably, the one guy that's getting the the greatest amount of, um, uh, shall we say, bump from the debates, although I'm inclined to think it won't very last very long, and that is upstart newbie politician Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, You know, there were moments, I don't know about you, but there were moments I felt as if he was trying very hard to channel Donald Trump. Trump? Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you nailed it right on the head. I mean, basically, he was Donald Trump, except a younger, 
uh, more different version than him. Um, there's no doubt about it. His campaign is, I am going to bring you Donald Trump without the baggage of Donald Trump. But that's not the case right now, because we're seeing as we peer back that he does have some baggage, whether it's about 9-11 comments and whether it's about the issue with the war in Ukraine. Now, what he is saying is, is very much uh, a valid argument, but it does not sit well with many in the, in the Republican Party. So it's going to be interesting what happens to him, because I thought he did very well. He did position himself as a Donald Trump light. But I don't know if the party wants a Donald Trump like uh, I think they want Donald Trump if they can have him uh, just because I, they, he's kind of tested and true. And, and it's the interesting the thing that I saw, you know, I saw the Emerson poll where Trump sort of lost about maybe six percentage points. But I think it was the morning consult and another poll had him go up. I think it was smart for Trump to, to skip. I think it was a smart decision because uh, I think there was, what, 12 million viewers as opposed to the 200 million he got on Twitter, or excuse me, X now. Uh, and, uh, you know, I thought that was a, a smart deal because these guys didn't get a lot of exposure. And I'm kind of laughing, Craig, when I read the, the newspapers and it like, uh, I think the last one I read was Haley Surges in the polls. And I, you look at it and she went from seven to 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, she's moving up, but these guys have a lot of way to go, and I don't think anyone there has has created any momentum that is going to give them what is needed to succumb, you know, 30, 40 points down in the polls. Uh, DeSantis, I think the big news was DeSantis went nowhere fast, and I, I don't know how much longer he has. I think Ramaswamy is going to be a good contender in Iowa. I think Haley's going to give him a run for his money. But, you know, we're not talking about second place being maybe five or ten points behind uh, the guy that's running away with it. We're talking about, you know, 30, 40 points behind. So nothing out of this debate came to me showed that anybody was still able to, to viably compete against Donald Trump. You know, and it's difficult from 3,000 miles away to try to kind of get in the heads of voters in Florida regarding uh, their liking for Ron DeSantis. I, I, I find his ability at sort of, you know, on the street, kissing babies, shaking hands politics to be uh, very awkward. And even when he gets behind a podium, I mean, you know, there, there's an occasional nasty streak to Donald Trump as well, but he doesn't come across with the same degree of bite the way DeSantis does that makes Trump look fascinating and DeSantis just turn voters off. You know, I... I, Why why there is such an apparent disconnect that, you know, as they say, just on the street politics, uh, it's just very odd. No, I mean, well, you know, we, we've talked about it before. Donald Trump is a politician, but he's also an entertainer. He knows how to work a camera. He knows how to work an audience. So he knew how to handle himself in a debate in terms of the entertainment factor. I mean, he was getting people in because he was doing something unconventional, and which is another reason why I think it was smart to sit a couple of rounds out, if not all rounds, because you got to kind of reestablish yourself and reinvent, excuse me, reinvent yourself. Because in 2016, he was the guy that came in and, and just turned the apple cart upside down. Um, that shtick might not work this time. He needs to find one that is working. And I think the, the they're coming for me, I'm fighting for you. I think that's going to be it. But with DeSantis, I mean, you look at it and we kind of laughed when, when Trump said, you know, he came to me and begging for help and I gave him help and all of a sudden he surged in the polls. 
I'm beginning to think that's actually more accurate than we, we like to think because I've never seen a guy that had such hype. I mean, he was the guy that was going to challenge Donald Trump. He was the one that was going to dethrone Trump and give us a, a Trump alternative, you know, someone with similar policies but not with the baggage. And I've never seen a campaign just just kind of not even get out of the gate. No, I mean, that, 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 that's a, da- a star that, that uh, you know, shown brightly very quickly and is about to flare out. And, and why the lack of the ability at retail politics or maybe he just needs a personality transplant. I don't know. And, you know, I don't have a dog in this hunt, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, free to, to raise these questions. The one thing that I thought was spectacularly yeah. odd across the board, when they got down toward the end of the debate, and they, pervor- they they presented the the uh, the timeless question: um, If you don't win, will you <laughs> pledge to support the proposed or the supposed rather uh, nominee Donald Trump? And wasn't it curious to note the right hand of the stage kind of responded almost immediately up to yeah. um, Nikki Haley, and then the rest. Yeah. DeSantis, most notably, looking around oh, no. first, and then <laughs> Christie was like, "Maybe no, yes, I will." <laughs> and I think Asa Hutchins was the only one that that did not respond. I just find it a little bit disingenuous when they get up and say, as as Ramaswamy has, "I think he's the greatest president in the twenty first century," but you're yeah. running against him. And yeah, I, mean, I think you know how, how do you how do you campaign against Donald Trump and yet support your uh, pledge your support for Donald Trump and you criticize him out of one side of your mouth and support him out of the other. I mean, maybe that's just what politicians do. You know, and it is, and it does, you know, harken back to the Bush and the Reagan debates of voodoo economics, which is so mild now compared to what we see on the debate stage. Uh, so, I mean, you know, and, and Kennedy and, and LBJ, these are folks that really detested each other but found a way to work together. But I don't see that here. You know, that question, I think, was very telling for Ron DeSantis. Uh, he looked lost with that question. It, it, it kind of showed us a glimpse that maybe he is not the the solid entrenched i'm going to lead by principle i I have a direction i mean that was it right there i mean you know you either you either knew that going you knew that question was coming you knew that question was coming and the fact that he had to look around first before he decided what to do i think that was kind of the the canary in the coal mine for him and and you're looking at christie and you're and you're looking at asa hutchinson and that reminded me, Craig, of, of sometimes when you're given a book report uh, you know, to do for class and you went and you did it, but you came to school and you realized you did the wrong book. And I think those two really needed Donald Trump to be there in order for their campaign to have any life. And him not being there, it just it just didn't show what needed to be shown. And, and even Mike Pence, I think, is trying to come out of the uh, the doldrums but he has such baggage with that relationship with trump i just don't see him doing it and that will take us back full circle to ramaswamy who uh, i don't know i know he says he's not but it seems like he is auditioning for that role of vp uh and and i think that's going to be interesting and i think i've left off tim scott 
which I think is telling right there because he was the nice guy nobody remembers. Yeah, that, that's sadly true. And and, and and as far as Christie, Christie sort of uh, you know put himself out there as the antidote to uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. The problem is when you're <laughs> engaged in a yeah. debate and the singular focus of your campaign seemingly is not present. You know, you're, it's like kind of like getting into a fight with yourself yeah. in front of the mirror. I, I want to yeah. talk a bit more about Ramaswamy, particularly it relates to some of his policies that seem to be quite contrarian to long-standing Republican Party platform. We'll get to that in a moment. We'll take a time out first, though. Joe Murray with us tonight. He's a constitutional lawyer, best-selling author, and educator. His latest bestseller, Take Back Education, available through the usual suspects, as well as Amazon.com. When we come back, more of our look at the debates. Plus, we'll talk about what's happening with Mitch McConnell. All that and more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back with author, educator, and lawyer Joe Murray. We're talking about a number of the big headline stories of the week, and uh, most notably, of course, the debates. And I want to get your take a little bit deeper on uh, not necessarily the performance of the debates of Vivek Ramaswamy, but rather his platform. Um, you know, one of the issues certainly that has been key to the Republican Party platform for decades now, I mean, this goes back to even pre um Ronald Reagan days, and that is steadfast support of Israel, recognizing that they are one of the few things in the Middle East that stands in the way of an out-of-control Iran. Uh, moreover, it's one of the few democracies in the Middle East, and we have long supported her. And yet Ramaswamy is suggesting that support for Israel ought to be Reduced. That seems to be a bit tone deaf. Uh, being anti-NATO also seems to be a little bit odd, particularly when you're also arguing to end the war in the Ukraine is um, best accomplished by just essentially giving Putin what he wants. Uh, those issues in my mind, Joe, coupled with the idea of making it more difficult for people to vote by not only raising the voting age or suggesting that they can vote if they've served in the military or take some kind of a test just struck me as odd. And then finally, his shocking lack of understanding of how elections work by suggesting that he would, um, where he had been, for example, the vice president on Jan 6, he would have not only insisted that there be a recount, he would have insisted that we move immediately to single day voting, paper ballots, and government ID, apparently not recognizing the fact that those details related to elections both at the state or federal level are up to the states not the federal government so is he i mean he certainly seems to be intelligent and well spoken is this guy just ill advised or just tossing stuff out that comes across the top of his head and he kind of forgets at the core who the audience is and given the fact let me end by saying given the fact that he has an atrocious voting record that the number of elections that he has just decided not to vote is alarmingly problematic for somebody who has such strong feelings about how to vote. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, here's what my take is. I'm not convinced that what Ramaswamy is saying is actually what he believes. I think the reason he is stumbling around these issues is because he's learning them for the first time and, and trying to, to connect it. Well, it's his misunderstanding of of Trumpism or what I would consider neoconservatism, which these have been around. Uh, you know, when I was working with Pat Buchanan back on the campaign trail in 99, we had similar issues. For example, we argued multiple times that 
that China is the greater threat, that we should not push Russia into China's arms. We should do our best to to bring Russia in from the fold, not penalize Russia for its behavior, but let's pit Russia against China because those two are more natural uh, agitators against each other than that Russia is with us. Um, and, and I see what he was trying to do there with the concept of, well, yeah, we'll just give them Ukraine and that way they'll be our besties. Well, well, that ship has sailed. That that was the argument we should have been having 30 years ago when we didn't want to push NATO to Russia's door, when we shouldn't have given NATO to Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia. Uh, but that ship has sailed. And this reminds me of someone who is who is quickly learning or trying to become familiar with these issues to appeal to an audience that is ready to hear them. Now, the problem is, as you and I both know, there is a rift in the Republican Party between some that would be the interventionist and the non-interventionist. We saw it in 2008 with Ron Paul. We saw it in uh, 2016 with Donald Trump. So there's always been a divide in the party. But I think Ramaswamy is just learning about it and he's trying to, to communicate it. And he's just not doing it well, which I think would cause a reasonable person to believe. Does he really believe this? Or does he believe this is what he needs to do to get elected? Uh, and that goes with Israel, too. I think there's a valid, uh, a valid argument to say, and more so 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago than today, that do we just blindly follow Israel or do we, do we look, recognize the fact that the Israeli state and, and, the, and the Jewish faith and the Israeli people are different and we have to be more judicious in our action? Again, he kind of slaughtered that uh, in, in how he approached it. It's just, oh, yeah, we're just going to reconsider it. Uh, so I think this is a fella that is didn't anticipate becoming as popular as he did and is now scrambling to try to learn the message he thinks will get him elected, which is why I think at the end of the day, Craig, that balloon is going to deflate as quickly as it, it was inflated. Yeah, he's um, he's pretty slick in terms of his onstage presence, uh, although I thought, again, there was just a degree of, of edginess to him that while he's interesting, I don't know that he's necessarily likable. And at the end of the day, as we know, uh, you know, certainly Richard Nixon can tell you this going back to uh, 1960. Uh, Likeability is is a big part of all this, and I just don't know that uh, with his his cuttiness, his bitiness, that that's necessarily there. Speaking of politicians, let me let me pivot to uh, a troubling story. We've seen this twice now, where uh, Mitch McConnell, in the middle of a press conference, in the case of yesterday, taking questions from the press at a Kentucky Chamber of Commerce meeting and just freezing. Um, you know, pause to think. We've all had experiences where we think, okay, during the commercial break, I'm going to go get myself something to drink, and then the commercial comes on. You walk into the kitchen and go, why am I here? We've all done that. Misplaced our keys. That's all happened. Gotten into a conversation, about to say something, and we just can't find the word. I think that's not only the natural part of the brain functioning, but I think certainly natural part of growing older. But these long, very disturbing pauses um, seems to raise some questions about Mitch McConnell. And if we look at our own senator here in California, Diane Feinstein, and her health questions. You know, I, I'm I'm reminded of a day and an age when we've had members of the United States Senate serve to the age of 100, Strom Thurmond. Thank you very much. And, you know, beyond the fact that there's an apparent inability to recognize, okay, it's time to turn the reins over to a younger generation. Uh, you have to wonder when they've been in office that many years and they reach that age, if they're continuing to serve because they genuinely want to serve or just because they like to be called senator or congressperson. 
person. What is your thoughts? Neither of us are doctors, but your thoughts on what you saw Mitch McConnell do. And, you know, there's certainly now the White House or, you know, a Senate physician saying, oh, yeah, nothing to see here. Everything is fine. I don't know that I buy it. No, I mean, here's what worries me, Craig, is you're right. I mean, we have all been in, I mean, I remember, and I was in cases making arguments to a jury, and you, you automatically have what they call that, that brain freeze. And the difference is, if you notice when people have brain freezes, you can see it on their face. They're, they're trying to think, they're trying to react. You can see the emotion on the face, sometimes the fear on the face. What worries me about McConnell is when he does it, it's just like a blank stare. It's like all of a sudden he was unplugged. And there's no emotion. There's no, there's no, because let's be honest, when you draw a blank, you tend to get nervous and, and your body reacts that way. You can see it on someone's face. And that's what makes me nervous with Mitch McConnell. You don't see it. It's like all of a sudden somebody just hit a pause button and he, he just stops. And, and you have to wait for someone to hit the pause or to hit the play button for him to come back. And I, and I think this is, is going to be interesting as we go into this election because you have Mitch McConnell and you have Joe Biden, uh, and we have to beginning to ask ourselves, I don't know if these people are doing the job that they're supposedly elected to do. Well, not only is that, pardon the interruption, not only is that a concern, but let me hearken back to Dianne Feinstein. Shortly after she returned to Capitol Hill following her recovery from shingles, which is a horrible, painful thing to experience, and my heart certainly goes out to her, but she, in the last three weeks, uh, was in the middle of a, a a, a, a hearing. It was time for a vote. They got to her. They called Senator Feinstein. No response. Senator Feinstein, no response. The cameras cut to her. Two aides are trying to kind of prompt her. And then she responds by saying, well, I have a question. And then an aide said, no, no, no. Now's the time to vote. Just say yes. Mm-hmm. And she kind of looked around and said, kind of with a you know shrug of the shoulders and a smile. Yes. Now, I've got to look at that and think, was that vote genuinely Diane Feinstein's vote, or was that Diane Feinstein responding to the prompting of an aide who just said, "Vote this way"? That's one of the areas that I think is particularly troubling, in that the opportunity for manipulation, when they reach that age and begin to show signs of incapacity, um, I, I think that from the standpoint of the protection of the vote of these elected officials and the way our democracy is supposed to function, we really need to revisit this. I've long been a supporter of term limits. Now I'm wondering, and again, I realize that there are people that are falling apart mentally at the age of 60 and people that are 90 that are sharper than a 25-year-old. So I don't know that you can necessarily outright say, here's the age cutoff, but you know, just as much as we ask elderly drivers to take a a driving test again to prove that they remain, you know, aware of the road rules and are still able to uh, to respond quickly to you know circumstances they might encounter on the road. Should we start requiring that of members of uh, elected officials? And I think that's an extremely valid point because you also mentioned mentioned Strom Thurmond and and I can envision Strom Thurmond if anybody leaned over to him and say what to do, he would have whacked him in the back of the head. Uh, he might have been old, but he still had his wits about him. And I think that's the key. I think it's not necessarily age, although I think I think the nation is growing tired of of the aging generation calling the shots. 
But the other issue is competency. I mean, you can be you can be of an age and still be competent. Right now, we're seeing that with Trump. I mean, I don't know how the man keeps the schedule he does, but if you start to see him start to falter and, and do that, I mean, that's an issue that I think we all have to understand. You know, this job is not a it's not a, a entry level job. It is a twenty four seven job in which you have the whole burden of the entire world on your shoulder. You hold the ability to destroy the world. You hold the ability to save the world in terms of of keeping it safe from destruction. So, I mean, that's a lot of pressure for anyone. And I think when you see someone like Joe Biden, who push push aside politics and and, and not not get into the partisanship, I mean, here is a fellow that is obviously struggling. uh, And and you have to believe that aides are, are the ones calling the shots or somebody is calling the shots, it's not him. And, and it begins to think, what is what is about the the uh, the, uh, the integrity of the ballot box? I mean, because the people that are, might be running the show are not the people that were voted in. Bingo. And I, and, and I think that is going to be more dangerous than any January 6th. I know people might think I'm insane, but if you begin to lose faith, in the election integrity, not not the whole who's counting the ballots. I'm talking about that the people that are actually making the rules and, and, and have the power are not the ones actually calling the shots. That's where I think it unravels. And that's why we have a Mitch McConnell problem. We have a Joe Biden problem, because this is where people really get disconnected from the government. And, and I don't know if you're able to get them back. So I, I think this is a very serious problem that we have going into 2024. And how we deal with it right now, I think, is going to set the stage for how we view government 10, 15 years from now. Uh, undoubtedly so. And speaking of having problems, uh, after the break, I want to wade into something here in relationship to you talked earlier about the political disconnect. I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the political connection. That probably ought not to be. I'll explain that as we continue our conversation today with constitutional lawyer, best-selling author and educator Joe Murray. His book, Take Back Education. We'll get back to more of the conversation with Joe as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Constitutional lawyer, author, and educator Joe Murray with us tonight. And uh, Joe, I want to open up a bit of a Pandora's box here for a moment. Uh, for decades, there have been concerns about members of Congress taking advantage of their positions, their knowledge, their connections, questions related to insider trading. I've always wondered, how can somebody serve in Congress in a job that barely pays $200,000 a year, go into the office with a scant amount of money sitting in a bank account, and then 10 years, 15 years later, walk out a multi, multi, multi millionaire. I mean, it just if you run the numbers and they're strictly earning income off of their position in Congress, it just doesn't pan out. Then more recently, we see things like at the 11th hour of the Trump administration, Jared Kushner goes flying off to the Middle East and comes back with a contribution from Saudi Arabia to a $3 billion hedge fund. And he has, by the way, very limited experience operating hedge funds. Uh, All of that happening, the 11th hour of the Trump administration. Daughter Ivanka getting no less than 18 Chinese trademarks in record time. And now today news that contrary to the multiple um, arguments that there was never any connection between the president 
and Hunter Biden during Biden's time as vice president. And uh, while Hunter was involved in Burisma and his uh, his great oil empire, which apparently there's little experience there, too. Now it turns out there's over a thousand emails going back and forth during the the um, Obama administration that seems to raise some significant questions about what they knew and when they knew it. Do we need to completely revisit the kind of influence that our politicians are able to wield in relationship to how they use their name, their office, their power, their influence, their contacts to benefit their own children. I mean, we know what happens all the time, but what I'm asking is, are we doing enough to try and stop it? No, I don't think we are. You know, there used to be an old adage when when I was working in private practice that, you know, if you worked at a firm and and you picked up a case and that case was at interest with that of the the main firm, you could take it, but you had to build the Chinese wall. You had to isolate yourself completely from from that part of the firm and you you could not interact. And and it's as harsh as it sounds, that's what we have to do right now. If you are president of the United States and one of your children want to get into business of some sort, which is fine, you know, go do what you want to do. There, there has to be a consequence. And if that's the case, you're not coming to the White House. You're not coming on Father's Day. You're not coming until until your father is out of office. And I think you're right. It's, it's the same thing with Hunter. It's the same with Ivanka and, and Jared. Um, it just doesn't look good. And, and and not saying that it's always bad, but I mean the mere fact that it it, it raises a a specter of concern or an appearance of impropriety, I mean that's the standard right now. That's if 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 you're a judge and it looks as if you could be biased, you're supposed to recuse yourself. We should be applying the same standard here to the highest office of the land. And I think that's the reason you don't see Ivanka and Jarrett involved in this election. I, I don't ask saying anything was done, but it did not look good. What you just described did not look good towards the end of that administration. And, and it would not look good if they came back into that administration because there would be a whole bunch of ethical questions raised. We've become too, too fast and loose with our rules of ethics, and we've become too fast and loose with our obligations and and we just say well it's not me it's somebody else but when you're president of the united states your reach is a lot longer and larger than just you your reach is your family uh especially when your family decides to get into business and into bed with foreign nations that have adversarial interests towards us yeah, and I just think the, the the lack of effort to create that wall so that there is never uttered a concern of impropriety or taking advantage, you know, especially when you talk about, uh, you know, uh, during the course. I mean, the, the fact that kids take advantage of a parent's position, uh, that's nothing new, and it happens all the time, and it happens at multiple stages and multiple, uh, you know, stations in life, I should say. But um, when you're talking about your your father or your mother actively being in that role and influence making, um, it's very difficult to come back and suggest that the connection to um, what you were able to negotiate and your your relatives uh, becomes darn near 
impossible. And I think the notion of avoid all appearance of evil is something that we ought to be doing. But at this juncture, we're doing a pretty lousy yeah. job of it. But let me ask you this. And again, we're, we're kind of winding down time here, Joe. So I'm going to ask you the question that takes two hours to answer and give you two <laughs> minutes in which to do it. But, we can do you it. know, as we're beginning to see more information coming forward, uh, a, a FOIA Freedom of Information Act request is what revealed these thousand emails that exist between Hunter Biden, communication with the vice president office. There's even apparently some things to suggest that Hunter Biden was able to influence invitations who came to the White House, things of this sort, wielding far, far, far more influence that ought to be ever allowed. What do you think is going to become of this? I mean, you know, I, I think about this. I try to take away my, my partisan attachments and say, okay, if we were treating Joe Biden like we treated Donald Trump, what, where would we be right now? Uh, I think the answer is clear would be in an impeachment proceeding. I'm not saying that's where we need to be. Uh, it really hurts to see that we are starting to use impeachment as a political weapon, which is something it was never meant to be. Impeachment was something uh, kind of the last step. It was it was the point of no return. But I fear, Craig, that this is heading towards impeachment, and it might warrant it. I just don't know if we know yet, and I don't even know if it should be because, you know, you have to go back and see when was this stuff done? Was it done in office right now, or did it carry over to him? There's a whole bunch of legal issues. But at bare minimum, there should be some type of investigation into this. I mean, more so, uh, not just a partisan investigation, but a, a, a nonpartisan investigation because the problem that I see from this point forward is that we can't believe what we read and we can't believe what we hear and we can't believe what we see, part of which is uh, is AI and part of which is that news outlets from both the conservative and liberal side are just now outright pointing, printing falsehoods. Uh, we are going to have a very uneducated populace at a time period where technology allows us to have an education that is limitless. And that is going to take me back to your initial answer. Where is this going to take us? I think, realistically, it's going to take us to an impeachment hearing where the nation is now ripped apart yet again. And we're not actually looking at the facts of the matter. It's now Republican versus Democrat. And it's going to be ugly and bitter. And I think where, where this is going to take us is right where George Washington was, where he warned when he left office to beware of political parties because they put their own personal interests ahead of that of the country. And boy, oh boy, was he right. Boy, you know, yeah, you got to talk then. talk about wisdom reaching back through the, the centuries. No doubt about it. Joe, as always, we uh, we sincerely appreciate your time, your insights. Uh, you help educate all of us and get us to thinking. And uh, I again, it. I thank you very much, my friend. Joe Murray, best-selling author, his book, Take Back Education. You'll find it at uh, oh, the usual suspects as well as at Amazon.com. And with that, we take a time out. When we come back, an update for you on the late summer reemergence of COVID. Professor John Schwartzberg joins us next as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Earlier today, I had a colleague stepped back in from lunch and was wearing a face mask and I said oh concerned about COVID no the uh, smoke from the fires <laughs> it's amazing how in such a short period of time how we've returned to a sense of normalcy when in reality 
there's something different going on. Speaking of wearing face masks, Kaiser Permanente has announced that across the state of California in all of their medical facilities and hospital locations, workers as well as folks that uh, come in to visit or come in for um, uh, medical treatment will now be required to wear face masks. All of this on the heels of the emergence of some new variants. And to get a sense of um, just how communicable these variants are and to what degree we need to mask up again and uh, return back to some of our uh, good habits when it comes to protecting ourselves and one another, we're joined by Professor John Schwartzberg. Professor Schwartzberg is Clinical Professor Emeritus, UC Berkeley, Professor Emeriti Academy, the School of Public Health, Division of Infectious Diseases and Vaccinology, and also serves as chair of the editorial board of the UC Berkeley Health and Wellness Publications. And Professor Schwartzberg, always a privilege to have you join us. Let's talk about some of these new variants that have come on the scene and um, to what degree we ought to be concerned. I hear that, uh, for example, the BA2.86 variant is now more infectious than a couple of its predecessor. What say you? Well, we've been hearing a lot about this BA286, and um, it's reasonable to be concerned about it, but it's also reasonable not to worry too much. So we've got to hit that sweet spot. Let me tell you what I mean. This new subvariant, or variant, is probably more contagious. We don't know for sure yet, but it's very contagious. But the thing that really worries us is that it's got around 34 or perhaps more mutations that are brand new. It's very different than anything we've seen, and that means it's very different than the immunity we've picked up from previous infections or from previous vaccinations. So that's what's concerning all of us. On the other hand, there have only been well, less than 30 cases reported worldwide. Now, there's probably a lot more than that because we've, we're finding it in the wastewater in the United States and some other countries, but it's not taking off like gangbusters, at least yet. So right now, it's we're watching it, we're, we're concerned about it, but it's not in the horse race yet. Our conversations over the last year, you have repeatedly reminded us that the sense, at least for the short term, of somehow putting COVID behind us and this is finally dealt with and we can click this or check this one off the list, probably not going to happen anytime soon. So with that sort of word of warning and setting of the stage of reminding everybody of the the stark reality of the the impact of COVID, um, that it will it may not be claiming as many lives as it did at the peak back in uh, in 2000. It's still there, or 2020, it's still there. It, it's still very much something to be concerned with. But I have to wonder, from your personal viewpoint, um, when we hear that it's not only capable of mutating, but is doing it with such a degree of, of not only frequency, but speed, is that something that you find troublesome? And, and maybe the, the bigger companion question to that is, are we going to someday be hopeful that science will figure out a way to create sort of a, I don't know, what do we call it, a magic bullet that we can stop COVID from mutating? Well, sure. You know, I think that um, one thing we know with almost certainty is that this virus is going to be with us for a long time. It's not going to go away. So the way we're going to deal with it is to find ways to protect ourselves from having the bad effects of it. There are a lot of other 
viruses in the same family. These are called coronaviruses. And most of those just cause the common cold. So if COVID mutates and changes, but it only causes a common cold in us once or twice a year, we can live with that. We can live with COVID. And I think that's likely what we're going to be seeing as the virus evolves and as our science evolves. That is producing better antiviral medications and producing vaccines that are more robust and more broadly covering all of the mutations that this virus can throw at us. So I think I'm very optimistic about how we're going to wind up living with, with uh, this virus. But right now, we're still not in, this, in the place where we want to be. And certainly we're hearing about upticks in hospitalizations and, and maybe one issue that you can address. And again, we don't want to worry people, but, you know, the old adage, forewarned is forearmed. Um, while perhaps we're beginning to see because of people that have been previously exposed and built up some natural immunity or have been, in fact, vaccinated, that, that has helped to reduce the length of time that a person experiences COVID, the severity of the symptoms, things of that sort. Uh, there has long been, and we've talked about about this previously, Professor Schwartz, but there's long been concern about the impact of so-called long COVID and that we don't fully really understand the implications of that. But to know that if you're going to get COVID, getting long COVID is probably not something you want. How concerned are you in terms of the impact of of the uh, the mutations and the new variants in the relationship to long COVID? And while some people might say, yeah, I got COVID and inside of a week I was back to normal, nothing to worry worry about, but is there a cumulative impact, and do we have to be concerned about reinfection? Well, we sure do. Reinfection um, can give us long COVID if we didn't get it the first time we got infected or even the second time. So that is of concern. You know, I don't worry about winding up in the hospital with COVID. I don't worry about dying from COVID. I'm up to date with my vaccines. I'm going to get the new booster when it comes out next month. And I have access to medications if I do get COVID. What I really worry about is getting long COVID. It's not likely to occur, but it occurs in 5, 10, maybe 15. Sometimes some data suggests even 20% of people who get COVID. So it does happen. And in those people who get long COVID, we know that a certain percentage of them, fortunately not most, but a certain percentage at two years are still very symptomatic. So I don't want to spend the next year of my life, the next two years of my life, or the rest of my life with brain fog, with fatigue, and other complications from that initial COVID infection. So I want to, be, I want to remain COVID free. For folks that are pondering all of this, and I alluded to the new mandate from Kaiser to begin masking up again, as you especially we head into you know the normal flu, flu cold cycle season here as we, we move into the fall, is your recommendation, at least if we're going to be in large crowds, be it at the theater, at the movies, in an airplane, or even out shopping, that it would be wise to mask up again? Well, it is certainly wise if you're in a higher risk group, if you're over 60 or 65, or at any age, if you have underlying conditions that mean you might not handle COVID as well. I'm over 65. I'm going to have a mask on anytime I'm indoors with a group of people. So I wear it in the grocery store. I'm wearing it now while I'm teaching at UC Berkeley. So I think it's advisable to do that. 
And anybody who wants to protect themselves from getting COVID at any age, it would be advisable to wear a good mask, not just any mask, but a good mask, an N95, a KN95, when you're indoors with the public. So I think that's terribly important. Final question for you, Professor Schwartzberg. You make reference to the new vaccine coming out. Do we know just yet um, how effective it may be? And when are we anticipating folks should be contacting their physician, their pharmacist to uh, receive the vaccine? I think it's clearly going to be very effective against the strains that are currently circulating. There, I don't think there's any question about that. They're very closely related to what the vaccine is covering. So I think we're going to have a good response to that. What I what we're concerned about going back to our initial conversation is if this virus changes dramatically, the new vaccine may not work as well. But it hasn't changed dramatically in terms of that particular new strain taking off. So I would urge your listeners, particularly those at higher risk, when the vaccine becomes available, which should be right around the middle of September, contact your physician or just go ahead and contact the pharmacy and get in line to get that. Some wise insights from Professor John Schwartzberg. And as always, Professor Schwartzberg, we so much appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to uh, educate our audience on these important health issues. Professor John Schwartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus, UC Berkeley, Professor Emeriti Academy, School of Public Health, Division of Infectious Diseases and Vaccinology, and Chair of the Editorial Board of the UC Berkeley Health and Wellness Publications. Dr. John Schwartzberg, thank you so much again, Professor, for being with us tonight. Six o'clock from KFAX as I get tongue tied <laughs> right there. Okay, we're going to try to do the rest of the show entirely in English. Stay tuned for that. I'm Greg Roberts, back with more as Lifeline continues. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.